When he was only 30 years old, he was made the vice president of marketing for PepsiCo. But John Scully was a marketing genius. He created campaigns that are still widely known in the history of marketing. He created a campaign called the Pepsi Generation. Some of you are old enough to remember that. He created a campaign called the Pepsi Challenge. And because of his genius in marketing, Pepsi began to take market share away from Coke in the multi-billion dollar beverage industry. And so at age 37, he became the youngest ever president of Pepsi. About this time, out in California, there was a, a couple crazy guys working in a garage on a little computer thing called Apple. And they were about six years along now, and they realized, no one takes us seriously. Everybody is afraid to invest in us because they don't think we've really got the business smarts. They don't think we were professional enough. And so we need like a real president to come in and run this company. And so Steve Jobs was sent to go recruit John Scully to do that job. Now this was a complete fool's errand because the, the sales pitch from Steve Jobs was going to be like this. Would you come and be our president? It's for dramatically less money. We think you'd be very interested because there's no prestige in what we're doing compared to what you're doing. And oh, by the way, you have locked-in security at PepsiCo, but if you come with us in the volatile tech industry, who knows how long you may have a job. What do you think? So Steve Jobs makes the pitch to him, and as you would expect, John Scully is completely taken aback. He's like, are, are you expecting me to leave the presidency of one of the largest companies in the world and go with you in a company that started in your garage? And Steve Jobs looks at him and says, do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? And it was at that moment, Scully said later, that I gulped because I knew if I didn't go, I would think the rest of my life, what did I miss? There's something that resonates in me when I hear that story. I'm thinking, what would it be like to have this talented, visionary leader recruit you, to come to you, to find you, and to say, we're doing something that has such cosmic influence, it really will change the world, and I want you to be part of it. Well, the amazing news I have for you friends this morning is that Jesus comes to every one of us, and he says that. He says, I know you, and I've found you, I've been looking for you, and I'm recruiting you. Are you going to continue with the priorities that you've had for your life? Are you going to come with me and change the world? Oh, how I wish that every single person in here would hear that call of Jesus Christ and would follow it. And I'll tell you why. Because when you do, when you take on the mission of Jesus Christ, it's larger than yourself. It has meaning and it has purpose. It adds a sense of dignity and direction to your life. And, and you become the kind of person you're like, you can't be stopped. You're like, I know who I am. I know what the Lord's called me to do. I'm doing it. And if I get pushed back, it doesn't slow me down. If, if I don't get a lot of applause or success, I don't care. That's not what I was in it for anyway. But if you don't have that, if you're just living day to day, like most people live, then, then here's what people may be saying about you. They're saying, man, he just seems like he's trying to find himself. He, he doesn't seem like he's found his purpose or his niche yet, or, or she just feels like she's adrift, or how come she has such amazing potential but it's just not being released? 
and I don't want that for you. But I know that as we hear this, that Jesus calls each one of us into his amazing mission to change the world. We, we have to stop, don't we? I mean, maybe, I, I'll speak for myself, I do. And I go, well, I don't know. Like, what do I actually bring to something like that? I don't know how much I would actually have to offer. And my life is very kind of a conventional suburban life. I have bills. I have kids. I have commitments. I don't know if I have, how much time I can free up. And, and I can't always see how is it that this, this amazing, life-changing call and mission of Jesus Christ could sync up with my ordinary, limited, routine kind of suburban life. Could those even go together somehow? Have you guys ever wondered that? I want to try to address that this morning. I want to look at, at one of the most famous examples from the Bible of Jesus recruiting somebody into his call and his work and his mission. And I want to see what has to change and what can stay the same. And I want to answer very directly how that goes along with our daily life. Would you turn with me, please, to Matthew 4? And we're going to start at, at verse 18. Matthew writes that while walking by the Sea of Galilee... Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, it's called Peter, and Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea. Okay, these guys are blue-collar workers. They're commercial fishermen. And this net is like a big circle, 20, 25 feet across, and it's got weights all around the edges of the net. So it's fairly heavy and fairly big. It takes a couple guys, and, and you, you throw it out into the water, either from a boat or you can even do it from shore, and the weights come down on the edges like a, and it makes like a parachute that comes down through the water, trapping the fish that are inside it. And so it's hard work. And Jesus comes along to their workplace, and he sees them, and he's like, I want you. Now, some of you, you're like, I don't know why Jesus would want me. I'm not sure I have that much to offer. Does he really know kind of what's here? Has the background check gone far enough? And, and, and can I tell you, friends, Peter had impulse control issues. <laughs> James and John down the beach, they're going to get recruited here in a minute. They have anger issues. So Jesus doesn't choose you for who you are. He chooses you for who you can become. And so you can't take the step into the mission of Jesus Christ that he has for you until you stop thinking about your inadequacy and you start thinking about his imperative. You stop thinking about how messy you are and you think about the mission that he's got for you because he's choosing you. Verse 19, and here's how he recruits them. He says, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. You know how you guys throw out that big net and it catches fish? Now you're going to throw out nets of grace and you're going to attract people and you're going to join me in my mission. Scan on down, if you would, to verses 23, 4. It says, Jesus traveled, teaching in the synagogues. He was a teacher, announcing the good news about the kingdom. He was a, a preacher and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And I'm sure that Peter and Andrew are like, uh, we don't do that. That's for you. We don't really have that background. We haven't been trained in that. But Jesus says these words to them. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I can turn you into that, even if you don't think you can. Do you believe Jesus can make you the person he wants you to be for the mission that he's given you to do? 
A friend of mine at work, this is about five years ago when I was working in the publishing company, she came to me, she goes, I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon this fall. I was like, that's awesome. Have you ever run? <laughs> I never hear you talk about running. She goes, oh no, I don't run. I've never run. But it's going to be so great because I'm going to work with Team World Vision. And so every mile that I run in the marathon, I'm going to have sponsors and it's going to raise money for wells in sub-Saharan Africa. Isn't that amazing? I go, yeah, that's amazing. But have you ever run? <laughs> She's like, oh, no, no, no. Here's how it works. See, if you sign up with Team World Vision and you sign up in the spring, they give you the training plan. And as long as you show up and do your first, you start out real slow, like a mile run. And then, then you do the two mile and you work up. But if you, if you work with them, they'll make you a marathoner. And she just finished her third marathon. And Jesus is coming to us and he's saying, don't look at what you think you've got because I can make you a fisher of men. Peter, you don't think you could ever preach because you've done your whole life with fishing. You know what? On Pentecost Day, you're going to preach and 3,000 people are going to come to Jesus Christ. You have no idea what God can do in you. Don't stop him from doing that. So Jesus comes and he says, you know the reason I have such high confidence that I can make you this is because I'm going to build on your transferable skills. He says to fishermen, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. See, you already know a lot about fishing. You already know how much it takes hard work and patience. You kind of got to think like the fish. I'm, those skills will all transfer over to the work that I'm going to have you do. And so it'd be like Jesus coming to one of us, maybe who's, who tr is a, a trader in commodities or bonds, and he's saying, I'm going to teach you how to help people trade in their old life for a better one. Or maybe some of you are in the software business and you're a software engineer or something, and Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm going to teach you how to help people get a brand new operating system for their lives. Maybe you're a mom, and Jesus comes to you and says, I'm going to teach you how to bear and raise spiritual children for my sake. Do you see, Jesus uses what's already in our lives, what he's already put there, so that we can fulfill his purpose. Dan uh, Meyer, who's a pastor in the area here, he was preaching one time a sermon a lot like this. And it was saying, you know, use what's in your life already as a way to fulfill the call of Jesus Christ. And one of the people there was an elderly woman, and she went home and was thinking about that. And she's like, you know, I don't have a lot of health. I don't have a lot of money. Uh, I live in a little apartment. I do, I do like to have people in, though. People say that I have this gift of hospitality, and I guess that's true. And she began to think and pray, what can I do? As it turns out, her apartment was not that far from this large university. And so she began to think, and she took out a stack of three-by-five cards, and here's what she wrote. Feeling homesick? Question mark. Join me for tea every afternoon, 4 p.m. Puts her name, puts her address, walks over to the campus, and tapes these things up around in the different dorms and buildings on the campus. At first, nobody comes. But then somebody came. They had tea together. It was actually pretty good. Then a few people came. Then it starts to grow. She did that for 10 years. When she passed away at her funeral, they had 80, not eight, 80 honorary pallbearers, all of whom were students who on some day had been homesick, wondering how am I going to make it through the pressures of final and the finances and the loneliness, and they walked over there and got a hot cup of tea and a sense that maybe something was right with the world and there was somebody who cared. Jesus says, you can do it right here. That's the offer. That's what I'm inviting you into. And so let's look at how they respond. Verse 20. Immediately. Immediately. They're not like, that's a pretty good offer. I want to think about that, though. 
Let me sleep on it. I'll get back with you. My people will call. No, they, immediately. Now, we think that they may have already met Jesus at this point based on some of the other Gospels. But, but they leave behind what they've known to go do this. And, and Peter says later to Jesus, Lord, Lord, we left everything to follow you. Now, he doesn't mean that he literally sold his home because we know that in his home it was his wife and his mother-in-law and Jesus visits there. But here's what happens to Peter's home. It becomes the base of Jesus' operations for those several years of ministry in, in the area around Capernaum. So, yeah, the, 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 the house wasn't sold, but it got a new owner. You see that? And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. And this is what happens again. Then it repeats. Verse 21, he sees two other brothers, James and John. They're mending nets also. He calls them. And when do they leave? Immediately. Same thing. And get this, they leave behind the boat. They're like, here, I'm turning in my laptop. Here's the keys to the office. Uh, here, I'm, I parked the Chevy S10. That's the company's. That's in the lot. You'll find the ladders in the back. Okay? And they leave their family business. Some of you have been in a family business. You know it's easier to get out of the mafia than to get out of a family business. These guys leave. Now, so you ask, okay, for me to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ that he's giving to me to do, do I have to leave my job? And here's where there's some confusion in the Christian community, so I want to spend a moment on this. Everyone is called to be engaged in the mission of Jesus. Not everyone is called to leave their job. In fact, over, in, over in, later in the Gospels, we see somebody who's begging Jesus to go do like what Peter and Andrew are doing, and here's what happens to him. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And Paul picks up on this when he's writing to the Corinthians later, and he says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord's placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. You don't need to go find a new job in order to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, generally speaking. There will be some of you that you do. But most of you, you're going to do it right here. But here's what does have to change for 100% of us. We have to change our priorities. We have to stop thinking about, I'm fishing for fish for me, to now, I'm fishing for people. I'm going from my mission in life to Jesus' mission in life. I'm no longer thinking about life the way most people around me do. Is this bringing me happiness? Would this increase my standard of living? And all that stuff. Instead, I'm thinking about it from the Jesus Christ standpoint. Will this attract, heal, teach, encourage, and help people that he loves? That's what my life's about. I'm no longer a consumer. I'm a conscript. And I'm going with him, and I'm doing what he says. Now, Res is a great place to learn about this. Every week, I, I, I talk with somebody, and in passing, I find out things they're doing to follow the mission of Jesus. There's one person here. Here's how he gets to work. He has a car, but he takes the bus. I said, why do you take the bus? I hate taking the bus. I hate standing in the cold, blah, blah. He's like, because I, I, then I meet people. I go, oh, what do you do when you meet the people? I talk with them, and... I encourage them. I get to know them. And do you talk to them about Jesus? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I just try to encourage their day. Why is he doing that? He's on a mission for Jesus Christ. There's another couple in our church. Uh, again, just like that guy, staying in, a, in their job. Uh, every Christmas they come to me and they say this. They say, are there a few people in this church 
who've had a tough year financially. They had a job loss. They had a financial reversal. They had a crisis they were not anticipating. And Christmas is going to be rough for them this year. And so the pastoral folks put our heads together and, and we suggest some names. And then I get, this is the most fun I have all year. They give me this stack of envelopes with people's names on them. I don't know what's in, but I'm sure it's something happy. And so I get to go to them and go, you know what? Somebody at this church loves you and wanted to make sure you were taken care of. They couldn't bear the thought that you would go through Christmas struggling. So here it is. Do you see? That's what happens when you get on the mission for Jesus Christ. Your life fills up with meaning. Oh, friends, that's what I want for you. Now, what would hold you back from that? Is there anything that would stand in the way of you doing that? I want to suggest two things that I think may sometimes be barriers for us. The one is where and the other is who. First, let's talk about the where. I sometimes hear sideways comments from people here at Res who are kind of along the lines of this. Yeah, you know, like if I were serving in Africa or if I, if I were in, in, in an inner city urban kind of context, that would really be authentic. But I live in the suburbs. And not just the suburbs, I live in the suburb of suburbs. I live in an upper middle class, buttoned down, mostly white, Wheaton, okay? And like, I, I don't know that I could really do ministry here. And so they're spending their lives driving around going, ah, oh, left turn lanes, chain restaurants, blah, 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 you know? You know what? That does not bring about the kingdom of God. I want to banish suburban guilt forever. I want to drop a big pastoral depth charge on your suburban guilt and blow it to smithereens. I don't want you ever, ever to think that you are held back from doing the work of God because you live in the suburbs. The Bible has a very clear teaching about how you and I should look at the place that we are called. Jeremiah. Okay, these people, they were sent into exile forcibly removed from their homes, and this is where God's placed them. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. In other words, if, if your community prospers, you prosper. So, so, so get involved in your community, pray for it, help neighbors, live that kind of life that's engaged, which you cannot do and will not do if you've still got that crazy suburban guilt. Just let that go. It's not helpful. Okay, that was a rant. Wow, okay. Uh, now, here's the thing about the suburbs, too. This is really a sweet time for us. It, I don't know whether you've noticed this. Over the last 20 to 25 years in Chicago, there's been massive gentrification. You go down there and every abandoned factory is sprouting balconies like barnacles. And they're turning into high-priced lofts. And what that is doing is it is pushing out the poor. It's pushing them into certain neighborhoods in Chicago, but it's also pushing many of them into the suburbs. And so the new face of American poverty in our day is increasingly a suburban face of poverty. And so you and I and the Church of the Resurrection are perfectly positioned to do the work and the will and the mission of Jesus Christ in our generation right here. If you go to Parkside Apartment Complex, where many refugees and immigrants to this country try to get started, and they're learning the language, and they're getting adjusted to the culture, and it's a tough transition. You come from some warm sub-Saharan country, you come here to the Arctic, you know, and we have five kids' clubs over there. And you can, you can be a part of it, befriending people, helping them, learning their needs, learning their names, eating their food. 
And we have other people here at Res. They actually work in a ministry where they teach refugees how to sow. And then the, those people earn a gainful living from the sowing that they've learned how to do. You see, there's opportunities all around if you leave behind the where guilt. Now, last, who? Or maybe I should say whom. <laughs> whom am I trying to please with my life? Is there a person who, who is kind of holding you back from full, holy abandonment to the purposes of Jesus Christ in your life because you need to kind of keep them happy or please them? Maybe it's like an uncle or a grandfather or, or it's a, a coach or a mentor who one time told you, you know, such and such and you're afraid it would displease them if you went a different direction from that. Maybe it's a child like, wow, if I make a decision for the gospel, it might impact a little bit their opportunities and I, I can't do that. I don't know what it is for you. But Jesus Christ has walked down the beach to find you. He's come to your workplace to find you. He's personally recruiting you. And he's saying, follow me. And is there a reason why the compelling call and gaze of Jesus Christ is not more compelling in your mind and my mind than this other person that's occupying space for your brain? I know exactly where I was sitting and what I was eating on the morning of April 8th, 1992. The phone rang, and it was my mom, and she said two words, he's gone. And I knew what that meant. It meant that my dad, who, who was in the hospital trying to recover from a heart attack, had gone the other way and had died. And I stood up from the table, and I was in shock, and I, I walked down the hall, and I grabbed my Bible off the nightstand there, and I fell to my knees next to my bed, and I said, oh, Lord, I just need to hear from you. I need a word from you at this moment. And I opened up my Bible, and the verse I read was, and leaving their father behind, they followed him. I knew what Jesus was telling me. He was telling me, I've been, I've been urging you into pastoral work since you were in high school. Is there a reason you're not getting on with that? And you know what part of it was? Was that I was still trying to please my dad and get affirmation from my dad. It wasn't his problem, it was my problem. But I knew that in my dad's worldview, there were star athletes, and those were the business guys and the doctors. And the water boys were the pastors. Nice people and all, but you pat them on the head. And so he was in publishing, and now I was in publishing. And there was all this stuff going on inside me that our counselors here could work with. And, and I, I heard the word of the Lord that day. And he came to me and he, and there by my bed, and he's saying, are you going to follow me? Are you going to come with me in holy abandon? Are you going to join in on the mission of Jesus? Or are you going to stay stuck with your priorities, trying to please somebody that they're not even aware of what's going on for you? Or are you going to come with me and change the world.